Well, good evening, everyone. It's 7 o'clock in uh, the Crescent City. If you're in Orlando, it's uh, 8 o'clock. And so, welcome from Orlando. Glad to have you here tonight. So, uh, they've shut down Disney World for tonight's Alpha Course. And uh, so, it's, uh, this better be good. So, uh, anyway, it's great to have you here. Seventh week, I want to remind you that if you have perfect attendance, which some of you don't, and I'm so sorry, but some of you do, and I'm so happy for you, uh, we'll have a special, special prize chosen just for you um, at the end of the 10th tenth, tenth week together. Uh, and now, one thing I'd love to mention to you guys that are watching online tonight, and also uh, you guys here, is on... Friday, December 4th at 7 o'clock, we have a Christmas presentation with Michael O'Brien, an amazingly gifted gentleman, and the Photo Sisters, amazingly gifted young ladies. They will be here in our auditorium at uh, 7 o'clock. You're going to have to register for that, and I want to encourage you to do that because it's going to, it's totally free, it's, but it will, it will fill up quickly. So think about that, do that. All you have to do is go to lakeviewchristiancenter.com and registered. It's okay. So tonight, how can I resist evil? Some of you may be asking the question, why would I want to resist evil? But hopefully that's not a question that you have. Uh, but this is an interesting question tonight. Typically we have, um, we have split pea soup tonight. And I'm, for those of you who are over 50 years old, will understand why uh, we would have split pea soup. So um, anyway, uh, if I were just to sum up Tonight, in a brief statement, uh, the way we resist evil is simply by primarily learning and reading the Bible and by learning what it means to communicate with God. I mean, basically what we've talked about for the previous six weeks gives us a foundation in the scripture of knowing this God who is all good and all powerful and who desires for us to experience the life that Jesus came to give us. And you know, I found that the more we know God, the more I know God, the more aware I am of the efforts of evil that are set against us personally. So when we talk about evil, there, you know, there, there's, there is the world around us, and we, there, we deal with issues of evil with the world around us. We deal with our own hearts. Remember, we talked about a few weeks ago that Jesus said that out of our heart come evil intentions. And then the Bible also talks about the devil as well. Now that may sound kind of archaic to some folks, but when we begin to look at what Christianity is and what the Bible says, we will find this person called the devil or Satan found throughout the scriptures, that he was a created being, that he rebelled, took a third of the angels with him, and he now stands, he opposed God and continues to oppose God and oppose all those who would want to and come to know and to come to the true knowledge of God. And when we look in the, in the Bible, because that's what we're going to be talking about, what does the Bible have to say about evil? What does the Bible have to say about this person? When we look throughout the scriptures, we'll see over 47 passages where Satan is directly spoken of, and 33 or more passages where it talks about devils or the devil. Or, and predominantly we'll find that in the New Testament. And in your manual, we're on page 66 tonight. Uh, you'll see that you know, there are mentions from the beginning in Genesis, in the book of Job. We see 
the confrontations with Jesus. We see the apostles. So throughout the Bible, so a, a, a major reason to believe in the devil is that the Bible mentions him. We see his interaction with uh, and in figures in the scripture. This is what we see here. Paul writes to the, the church in, in Ephesus because these are people that are, that are, if you're just joining us, I'm going to use some terminology that may not be uh, clear to you, but when I talk about in the wheelbarrow or having received the gift or saying I do, it's going to be talking about just those who've come to that place of surrender and trusting Jesus Christ. So when Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he's writing to those who have come to believe that Jesus Christ is in fact Savior, Lord, God in the flesh, come to save us. So this is what Ephesians 6 says, for our struggle, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So we see here that, that he has schemes. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, Paul is not saying that there, our struggle is only against demons or devils, but there is a spiritual force that is opposed to God. And the scripture makes that very clear to us. And this may be hard to believe, particularly in our high-tech world in which we live in, Uh, but the issue is not whether or not it's hard to believe. The issue is, is it true or is it not true? You know, if if the resurrection is true, then... I mean, just follow this course of thinking. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus died. He had to die to be resurrected. And the reason he died was to free us from our sins. And the reason he had to set us free from our sins was because our parents caved in to the lies and the temptation of the serpent in the garden, which birthed us into death. And the serpent is also known as Satan. So when we talk about you, I, I pull these out for you every week. I know you love to see my little cups. Um, but we talk when, we, when, when Adam falls, all that would be born of the flesh would be born into Adam. And that birth, we may be born alive physically, but we are born, as we've talked about so many times, spiritually separated from God. And Jesus, it's clear uh, in the, in the, Uh, John's first letter to the churches, he writes this, the purpose of the Son of God, the purpose he appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus comes, if what the Bible tells us is true, he comes to destroy the evil that you and I and everyone born in in bodies, born in the flesh, were, were put under, were under subject to, under subjection to. And so he came to destroy the works of the devil. And if there is a devil, I want you to take, hear what I'm saying here. If there is a devil, as the Bible says, I want you to take his work against you personally. Take it personally. Not just some ethereal type thing, but personally. He's out to destroy you if what the Bible says is true. According to scripture, if we don't allow the work of Jesus to destroy Satan's work in our lives, then simply put, Satan will ultimately destroy us. Um, I mean, if you know that somebody's out to get you, 
let's just say you're not a paranoid schizophrenic, but just, you know, somebody's really out to get you. I don't know that you would take that nonchalantly, would you? If you had absolute proof, evidence that somebody was out to get you, you wouldn't just go, eh, oh well. Now, well, as we look at the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done and why he did it, he came to destroy the works of one who wants to destroy us. The Bible could not be any more clear about that. So, if the Bible's true, and there are demons, there's no way to really deal with them. There's no way to respond to them without the Bible. Jesus came to destroy Satan's works primarily in our lives. Uh, Wayne Grudem, theologian, seminary professor, author, wrote, he said, if scripture gives us a true account of the world as it really is, then we must take seriously its portrayal of intense demonic involvement in human society. Our failure to perceive the involvement with our five senses simply tells us that we have some deficiencies in our ability to understand the world, not that demons do not exist. See, so just because we can't see something doesn't mean it doesn't affect us. Um, right? I mean, we know that that is true. Let me just ask you a question uh, here. Maybe you would recognize this here. Um, it's a little, this is not life-size. Thank God this is not life-size. Um, maybe a gazillion times more so. But this, um, this is a, uh, a dust mite blown up a few more times than its average size. Now, dust mites are also known as bed bugs. Have you heard of bed bugs? Okay, well, just, just to make you feel really secure tonight, um, a, a, a typical used mattress may have anywhere from 100,000 to 10 million of them. Just a typical mattress. Um, 10% of the weight of a 10-year pillow, a 2-year-old pillow, sorry, can be composed of dead mites and their droppings. Now, I know you're glad you're here tonight so you could learn this. Okay, So, I mean, can you imagine a 2-year-old pillow, 10% of that could be composed of that. But for us not to worry, because we live in New Orleans, mites prefer warm, moist surroundings, uh, such as the inside of a mattress when someone is on it. So these things are really not good. We need to get rid of those pillows, and we need to get rid of those mattress toppings. Um, and oh, by the way, wait, tonight is brought to you by uh, MyPillow.com. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, it's yeah, so we want to thank uh, Mike Lindell and the folks at MyPillow for sponsoring Alpha tonight. Thank you, thank you, Mike. Okay, so anyway, but just because we cannot see something, it doesn't mean we cannot be affected by it. Here's something. Um, here, this is under a, a, a microscope. This would be the swine flu. Okay, and this is something, you know, back in 2012 was something that we were, 2012 I think it was, concerned about. Thankfully, it has not gone the way of COVID. And, and probably a major reason is they were able to isolate very quickly the source of the swine flu virus. And I think you'd be very interested in knowing how they were able to wrestle this down so quickly. They were able to just take care of that quickly. I, I don't know about the child, but um, anyway, so one of my favorite things there, got rid of that. So but microscopes had been used to discover uh, the things that we cannot see with the naked eye. 
uh, and that they are real. And before microscopes, we could just only see the effects of the unseen world. Uh, clearly, there are things that we cannot see that can and do affect us, that, that do us harm. They're there, and our not seeing them is really irrelevant. What we cannot see can hurt us, and often it does. Well, what comes along is we have the microscope. We have a microscope of Scripture that comes along and brings us into the spirit realm to see things that we would not see, but for God's Word illuminating us, illuminating us to be able to see that. It's things that, well, that we may to some degree comprehend. Now, we don't have a full comprehension, but at least some comprehension of the things that are there desiring to deceive us and to do us harm. And ignorance or unbelief does not exempt us from its effects. So we see here in our manual also, what are the devil's tactics? Well, the Bible teaches that Satan has some deceptive devices to keep us from thinking biblically about him. And through the ages, we get these ghoulish, somewhat caricature-like images of evil. We get them through uh, religious, you see a lot of religious artwork, but not necessarily biblical artwork. Religious thinking, but not necessarily biblical thinking. Um, we, we get these pictures of evil through movies, television, through music, through video games, and various other forms of media. And, and uh, Satan is all too happy to use the fiction of Hollywood or Halloween to accomplish his purposes. He like to scare the snot out of us with, with horror movies. I mean, it's right around Halloween that all these new horror movies seem to be coming out, or a reruns of the, like, I don't know how many Friday the 13th there have been. There's been at least 1,300 of them, if I'm not mistaken. But it's this, we like to be scared. Why do we like to be scared? I don't care to be scared. But there's, or, or so to get us afraid or just to get us to laugh. I mean, where do we get our theology from? Some of you, if you're older than 50 years old, you may remember Rowan and Martin's laughing and, and Flip Wilson. Remember when, when he did something wrong and why did he do something wrong? The devil made me do it. That's why he did it wrong. The devil made me do it. Or um, maybe uh, we, you know, picture Satan in these little red pajamas, this cute little guy in the red pajamas. Um, or maybe we get our theology on, on demons um, from, uh, from this person right here, the, the church lady. Remember her? I mean, how could this be happening? Could it possibly be Satan? Do you remember that? I mean, just, just make fun of it. Ha ha, no way. This is just ridiculous. Um, or maybe uh, you were one of those tuning in uh, to the music, music TV Awards in 2009 where the Reverend Jack Black led an audience of hundreds live there and millions watching TV led them in a prayer to our dear dark Lord Satan. Wasn't that an interesting prayer? Um, but possibly, you know, finally, uh, Lucifer got his own TV show. I don't know if you knew that, if you watched that on, on Fox. Uh, they did cancel him, though. The Lucifer was canceled by the producer, and then shortly after, uh, Lucifer uh, canceled the producers. But um, those things do happen. So here's what C.S. Lewis has had to say. Lewis, remember, Lewis was an atheist. He was a total secularist. He did not believe in the supernatural. And he became a, de- became a devoted follower of Jesus and believer in the scriptures. He says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. 
One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, that is demons, are equally pleased by both errors, by both errors, and hail a materialist or a secularist, a total non-believer, or a magician, a sorcerer, somebody who's all caught up in the supernatural stuff, Ouija boards and all that, with the same delight, the same delight. So we can see that there's either too much or too little emphasis on him. But this is one thing that we do know. If what the scripture tells us is true, Satan fights on two fronts, at least two fronts, and has at least two intentions. One is to keep you and me out of the wheelbarrow, from receiving the gift, from saying I do, from surrendering control of our lives to Christ. That's first and foremost what he does. And secondly is to keep us if you will, ineffective, if we have gotten in the wheelbarrow, to keep us from actually growing in relationship with Jesus Christ into the fullness of life that Jesus says that he has for us. And if not in the wheelbarrow, if we have not surrendered, according to the scripture, then Satan's aim is to ultimately and totally destroy us. This is what Jesus is quoted as saying in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief, that is Satan, comes, now this is an interesting word here, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he does, 24-7, 365. That is his, that's his vacation, that's his job, that's his everything. That's all he comes to do. He comes, Jesus said, only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's, and we're not talking about taking your stuff away, because his ultimate interest is to take you away without God. How do I resist that? How do I resist that well it's as we've talked about it's by coming to trust and know jesus christ coming to trust him through prayer through reading his love letter getting to know him and the more we get to know him the more we'll understand those those schemes annette and i were in uh in Alabama this weekend to visit our, our daughter, Abby, and her family. And while we were there, um, I'd heard of a neighbor that, one of her neighbors that I'd met had uh, recently had a heart attack. So I went over and visited him and got to spend some time with him. And it's just absolutely miraculous how this man survived this heart attack where he was no heartbeat and people just for 11 minutes just kept doing CPR. He had a just so happened that went with him was a physical therapist and a neurosurgeon. Um, and so they kept him going, got him, got him to the hospital, heart still giving him CPR. And uh, eventually they did four bypass surgery. And, and the nurse said, um, God must have a plan for you. Well, he had another situation that took place a while back where he had this flesh-eating bacteria was just eating his body away and put him in a seven-week coma. Just amazing and the nurse tells him, God must have a plan for you. God must not be ready for you. Have you ever heard somebody say that? God must not be ready for you yet because you should not have lived through that. Well, my question with that, though, is it, is it that God's not ready for him or he's not ready for God? See, God, I do believe that God does have a plan for our lives and I do believe he has a plan for us in the dash. But the dash is a very short time. His plan is not just for us in the dash for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. His plan for us is in the line, in the other side of our last heartbeat. 
That's the big plan. That's the plan that lasts forever. So yes, God does have a plan for our lives. But this is just a small part of it. And unless we know him in the small part of it, we will have absolutely no piece of that plan in the large part. So yeah, God does have a plan. And it's a big plan, but it's bigger than the few years that you and I have here on earth. And this question, God must not be ready for you yet. The better question is, are you ready for God? And we've talked about how we can know that. See, and so we see here that one of the things that the enemy tries to do is to keep us blind to our true need. This is what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, in whose case the God of this world, that would be Satan, has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving, those who do not believe that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So his intention is to keep us distracted, keep us uh, mocking, keep us unbelieving, so we will not understand and see this enemy whose delight and desire is our termination without God. And so he works through Lies. That's all he knows how to do. Here's, again, here's what Jesus is recorded as saying in the 8th chapter of John. He says, Jesus is saying here, to, these are to the religious leaders. Jesus is giving the religious leaders what for when he says this. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Everything he tells is a lie. Even when he takes the truth, he twists it, contextualizes it in such a way that it is not the truth. This is what he does, and he does this in many ways. He does it through religion. He is a deceiver. The Bible even talks about him coming as an angel of light, as a counterfeit. He even, and he uses, as we've talked about, self-reliant religion. Okay, that would be BVM religion, blessed vending machine religion, to motivate us to perfect our own meology by keeping us out of the Bible so that we don't know what God has to say to us, how he wants to encourage us, how he wants to feed and strengthen our spiritual muscle. Uh, He does this by distorting the truth as well. I mean, you know, don't don't become a follower of Jesus because you can just check fun at the door from now on. Life will be boring. You're just going to live a monastic life. There's no reason for you to even worry about anything because life is no fun, no more. It's over. Uh, Maybe, and if you become a Christian, then you're going to get a one-way ticket to Africa right because that's what god wants for you now is just to go to africa um just forget it and then but he does want us to um maybe spend spend more time on bourbon street um but not the way you would think it normally now you know hurricane in your hand no 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 more of those bourbon street days those now you go to bourbon street with a big big wooden cross and a megaphone in your hand that's how you that's how you spend your time uh, and then, of course, if you become a Christian, then God's going to make you poor because he's going to make sure you have to give all your money away and you're going to spend all your time in church. And how boring is that? And the people, strange people. Um, 
uh, you're going to lose all your friends. Your friends are going to leave you. It's over between you and all those lifelong friends. You can just kiss them goodbye because they will kiss you goodbye. Um, or worse yet, if you become a Christian, uh, if you get in the wheelbarrow, give your life to Christ, you're going to have to dress up in black and white and serve cake at the next Alpha. And God forbid that, has, that happens. Um, I have a dear friend, um, lifelong friend. He and I were, were buddies and uh, we were freshmen in high school. Uh, I was a sophomore at LSU. He was a sophomore at Tulane um, when, when, in 1976 when I surrendered my life to Christ, when I got in the wheelbarrow. Well, I began to tell my friend about how Jesus had changed my life and uh, we'd have lunch together. I'd talk to him about Jesus. He'd ask questions. He's a smart dude. I mean, BS chemical engineering, Stanford MBA, just really smart guy. Um, and, uh, you know, life was, was going along just great for him. Well, you know, now we're, we're in our middle 30s and uh, maybe uh, and uh, had some rocky roads along the way. But he and I are still getting together. And he eventually got in the wheelbarrow. He surrendered his life to Christ. So exciting to see him, this very successful um, man, give his life to Christ. And we had lunch very shortly after that, after he gave his life to Christ. And uh, he said to me, he said, Frank, he said, do you know why it took me so long to give my life to Jesus? Now, this is alpha material. Uh, So I'm like, tell me. I want to know this. I can't wait to tell people your answer. And he said, what took me so long to come to Jesus was you. And I thought, okay, we won't be taking any more notes now, but what do you mean, me? He said, I was afraid I would have to become like you. And I did not want to be like you. And I thought, that's really good. Because there's this lie that says... You come to Jesus, you're going to have to be like your mama. You're going to have to be like your sister. You're going to have to be like that crazy person that lives on the corner that always has those Easter signs out there and all that other stuff. Um, No, that's a lie. You're just you in the wheelbarrow. You're you married to Jesus. You're you. You're you having received the gift. You're just you. See, but those lies... As simple and innocent as they may be, are deadly. They're deadly lies. And I think it's important that you and I see that and think about those thoughts that you and I have carried with us for so long that we thought were just innocent thoughts. According to the Bible, they're schemes of the devil. According to the Bible, they're his lies to keep us from the truth. Well, you, that, not the, and you can go to Bourbon Street too if you want to. I don't know why you'd want to be in this. Of course, I think that was a picture of Bourbon Street last night. And I think the mayor, you can find Latoya. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, Miss Mayor, if you're watching. Um, so, um, so if we're in the wheelbarrow, I mean, here's, here's what, again, we talked about what we could expect. Okay? It says, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters. That's, the accuser is the enemy. He is the accuser who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. How is he hurled down? Through the cross of Christ. For this purpose, Christ was revealed to destroy 
the works of the evil one. Okay? He is the one who accuses you and me before God, brothers and sisters. They overcame him. Now, these are those who have gone before us. How did they overcome him? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Okay, so let's talk about this book out of the book of the scary book of Revelation. Okay. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Okay. The blood of Jesus Christ is called, as many of you know, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So they didn't overcome Satan by their own blood or by their own works. They overcame him by the work that Jesus did, the 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 cleansing blood of Jesus that brings away, that takes away rather, our sin. And they overcame him by the blood and the word of their testimony. The word of the test of their testimony is the confession. It's the I do. It's the saying yes to Jesus Christ and no longer yes to my way, yes to his way, not no to my way. And so those accusations continue after you or I get in the wheelbarrow. I can tell you that from experience. There are people at your tables tonight that will tell you that from experience. Let me just look at some of those real quickly, some of those accusations. One, that you look more at your sinful works than the Savior's work that you spend more time attentive to what you have done wrong than you have as to what Jesus did right that covers all that you and I have done wrong. Or that we would obsess over looking at past sins, things that we did in the past where the result of the sin cannot be undone. You got any of those? I'm not asking you to testify right now, but if you do have any of those... That is a scheme. That is an evil scheme to make you think, I did that and it can't be undone. That would be a lie. That would be something that would be keeping you from believing Christ would accept you regardless of your sin. Three, thinking that current difficulties are a punishment for past sins. Another lie. Just to let, just piling on, believing, causing you to believe that you do not have the right to ask God to be in your life, take over your life, control your life, love you, bring you near. Because what you did in the past is just too big of a deal and you keep thinking about it. It's a part of your brain, of your wardrobe, if you will. And the more you think about it, the more it gets lodged in your brain. That's a scheme. And then fourth one, causing us to believe that our sinful desires wouldn't tackle us if we were really in the wheelbarrow, if we were really were Christians. That's another lie. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. You know the guy that wrote like almost half the New Testament? He said this, writing to the church at Rome, he said, the good things I want to do, I'm not doing. The evil things I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. This is the Apostle Paul. This isn't me. This isn't you. This is Paul writing in the Scriptures that, that because we, are st- we still have sinful desire, which you and I will have till the day our heart stops, should cause me to believe that I'm not in Christ and I'm still in Adam. 
But here's the good news. God, if you or I are in the wheelbarrow, if we've surrendered to his love and his mercy and the work on the cross, he is for us. And the Bible says he will never leave us. And that is so important for you and me to know. That's the importance, again, of the scripture, to know what the Bible tells me. To use this as a weapon against those accusations. That's why I need to know this, this book. Here's, here's what Paul wrote right after Romans 8 1 and Romans 7. Remember I told you the good I want to do, I'm not doing. What I don't want to do, I am doing. Here's what, what, what Paul writes, led by the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about next week. We'll be in the who is the Holy Spirit. That's our topic for next week. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Okay, so remember, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about when we're born, we're plugged into death. We're plugged into separation from God. Okay, that's death. We're plugged into death. Why? Because we're plugged into Adam. Okay? But when we receive Christ, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that now is in me because I am in him, I'm unplugged from death, I'm plugged into life, and I am his, and there is now no condemnation, and there is forever no condemnation, because Christ carried forever all of my due condemnation. Okay? When Jesus goes to the cross 2,000 years ago, he pays for all of our sin, past, present, and future. I mean, 2,000 years ago, none of us were alive. So when Christ goes to the cross, he pays for every sin. He destroys the work of the evil one. The condemnation that I was due and would be due if not for Christ, Jesus takes upon himself. And the reason there is no condemnation left for me is because all my condemnation was put on Christ forever. And there is no greater news than that. If what the Bible tells me there is true, there is no greater news than that. And so Jesus Christ says, I do to you, not just the moment you say I do, or not just partway into the I do, it is I do past, present, and future. That a God who is eternally perfect says, I do to you and forgives you and me for all sins, the sins you will commit tomorrow that you don't even know you're going to commit yet. And the day after, and the day after, and the day after, he has completely obliterated him them through his cross for this purpose christ was revealed to destroy all the works of the evil one it's what he does and that's what jesus has done for us and the news does not get any better than that and what he, another way that he works is to deceive us let me see if i've got this scripture he says He says, I'm afraid, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind shall be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Now, I am so grateful for that. Because what Paul is telling us here, as God is leading, what God is leading Paul to tell us here is, your devotion to Christ is just simple. It's pure. It's a devotion to the person of Christ. Now, if you're married here, there should be a devotion to your wife. 
It should be a pure devotion to your wife. It should be a pure devotion to your husband. It, it, it's not always that simple, though, guys, is it? Ladies, it's not always that simple. But there is a simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus that where we keep our eyes on Him, we focus on Him. We, the more we keep our eyes on Him, the, more our distra- the less our distraction takes place because the more we see how attractive He is, the more we see how much we, we need Him. So even when feelings wear off, and feelings wear off, that changes nothing from God's perspective. My feelings have not, my feelings toward God and what He's done for me have absolutely nothing to do with God's feelings toward me and what He's done for me. And that is true for you. Hear that. Your feelings toward God have nothing to do with His feelings toward you. Aren't you glad? You should be glad. That is great news. That is great news. He, he doesn't have a bad day. He doesn't have a tantrum. He's, he's the same forever. But Satan wants us to, to, to keep from experiencing the depth of relationship with God, the relationship that he has always wanted to have with you. And the good news about this is that um, we're not in, a, in this wheelbarrow alone. So as any of us go through difficulties and trials, like when Annette and I went through cancer 10, 11 years ago, and we walked up to the, to the uh, hospital and there were 40 people in that waiting room to pray with us and to pray for us. I knew that I was not, we, were, we knew that we were not alone. We had people praying for us, caring for us, standing with us against any temptations and fears and challenges that we had. We needed that. Linda, you needed that. God gave you that we need those around us to be our protection when our emotions are have left us almost lifeless so what's the position of the christian cover this and we'll be we'll be done what is the position of the christian the our manual tells us well here's here's what paul wrote to the church at coloss for he delivered us that is jesus delivered us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, do you see what we've been talking about this time? He took us out of the dominion of darkness, out of Adam's kingdom, and he placed us in, out of Adam's family and placed us into his family. This is clearly what Paul's written here. He delivered us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so this is so important for us to see. So let's just take a look at this. So when one is taken out of Adam and placed into Christ, okay, there's a change of address and there's an exchange of lives, right? Remember we talked about in in week four, if anyone is in Christ, he, she becomes a new creation. All things are gone. All things are gone. Everything becomes new forever, completely forgiven, past, present, future. And so we see here on this side of the ledger a dominion of darkness, the dominion or the domain of darkness, and here the kingdom of light, two different addresses. And now look, this is what the Bible tells us. As difficult as this is, this is what the Bible says. Wrestle with God over this. 
You're in the dominion of darkness. According to the scripture, if you're curious, convinced, callous, confused, it, it doesn't matter. That You're still in Adam's family. You are still in the family of Adam. You have not received. You're still plugged into separation from God. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. Okay? And, and from, and, or we are committed. If you're in the wheelbarrow, surrender to Christ, right? receive the gift, said I do, You've been taken out of death, placed into Christ. You're in the kingdom of light. Your spirit's in the kingdom of light. And in the dominion of darkness, I mean, these are the accoutrements of the, uh, the domain of darkness. Satan, still under his bondage. Sin, still under death. Okay? Slavery or bondage to sin. Okay? There is eternal destruction. There is confusion, lack of clarity for life, deception, fear, all these things that are the, that it's the furnishings. It's what comes with the dominion of darkness. This is what you get. No extra charge. This is what comes. And that's not to say that if you're in Christ, you don't ever experience confusion or de- deception or fear. It's not to say that. There's still a struggle. But we are in Christ. And in, and in Christ is Christ. In Christ is total forgiveness. Life, everlasting life, freedom, power in Christ over sin. That even if you struggle with sin, there's a, there's a power to overcome that sin. There is salvation. There is life forever. There is clarity. The Bible tells us that God has given us the ability to have, have clarity of thinking by the Holy Spirit. And then he begins to speak to us and gives us clarity where we just may seem to be confused. And the truth he says we're going to know the truth and the truth is going to make him free. That make us free. And that, this is Jesus, what Jesus said when he prayed for those who would be his. He said, Lord, sanctify them, set them apart, make them holy in the truth. Your word is the truth. So I get to, the more I get to know him, the more I understand these things, the more I, I, I desire to, to dig into and to build, if you will, this armor of protection over my mind and over my heart. The more I get to know Christ, the more I, as I said earlier, the more I understand this warfare against me. And so this is so important for you and me to see. So there is, if you allow me, there's no neutral ground. Do you see? There's no neutral ground. You are either, and I are either in the dominion of darkness or in the kingdom of light. There's no space in between. One foot is not in the wheelbarrow and one foot is uh, out of the wheelbarrow. That, that, it's... This is what, because we're talking about life. And when we're born into Adam, the Bible clearly tells us, physically alive, but to God, dead, separated. But if you, but if you receive what the Son of God, the Son of Man came to do for this purpose, Christ was revealed into the world. Christ was incarnated. The reason for Christmas is the incarnation of Christ. Christ come to get us in the most unusual of ways came to redeem us, to set us free, to give us life, that we'd be plugged into life forever. And that's what he wants for each and every one of us. And the way we defend ourselves is, as I've said, knowing the scripture, knowing the word. The more we know the word of God, the more of a, of a sword we have. The Bible's called a sword. The more of a sword we have against the enemy. So how do we attack? Well, uh, to know our secure position is important and our secure position is if you will um, if you've had young children you know what happens when your kids get a little 
scared. If you're standing there and someone approaches you, what do they do? They grab onto your pants leg or your, or your skirt and they get right behind you. Why do they do that? Because they have confidence in your strength and your comfort and your protection, not their own. And that's exactly where we should be, hanging on to God's pants leg. That's where we would be. That's where we should be, right? Because our daddy is bigger than their daddy, right? Greater is he, John writes, that is in you than the one that is in the world. Greater is Christ in you than the enemy that is in the world. So first, for those of us still in the grip of the evil one, God has made a way of escape. This is the great news. He continues to reveal to us There's a way of escape. I've given you a way of escape. Uh, It's an escape hatch. It's a door. Jesus calls himself the door. And that door is a door of escape from Adam to be into Christ. And that is what he, that's what this whole story is about. A deliverance of redemption, of changing an address, of changing a life, of becoming new in Christ. Here's what, Uh, The psalmist wrote in Psalm 18, uh, I'm going to pass these two scriptures here just for us to see this. And think about this as it pertains to you, okay? Think about this as it pertains to you. Now, I emphasize the he's here. He reached down from on high. He took me. That means he took you. He drew me out of mighty waters, He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me. Why? Because he delighted in me. Do you believe that God delights in you? I mean, think about that for a minute. That's, a, that's quite a thought. But if the scripture is true, the Bible says he delights in you. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, no matter how undoable what you've done is, Jesus Christ came to destroy all the works of the evil one in your life and in my life so that we could know the truth Jesus himself and the truth would make us free. The way to resist evil is to cling to the one who defeated the evil one so that we can be joined in the dash to him and in the line, the other side of our last heartbeat, to him and with one another now and forever. All right, well, next week what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to look at this person of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, in my traditional upbringing, I had no idea who the Holy Spirit or what the Holy Spirit was. That's going to be se- uh, session eight. So I want to uh, encourage you, if you'd like to look ahead in your manual, uh, go ahead and just start looking at some of the scriptures there. But I want to thank you again for being here tonight. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get back to our tables. I want to thank you guys for watching online. Uh, There are questions for you. If you want to go to the Lakeview Christian Center app, just pull the questions off of um, week six, how can I resist evil? 
and you guys can have conversation over that as well. So again, thanks for coming. If you've got perfect attendance, don't blow it. All right. Uh, so again, appreciate you guys. Thanks for coming. Let's take a quick break.